The last page has been turned on my most recent read. My tea has grown cold as I have been distracted. Nothing new there. So it's probably time for a fresh cup. The taste of cold tea has never appealed and I really don't understand the attraction of sweetened iced tea at all. Seriously, what is so great about it? Can anyone tell me? It's another week and another book. And as you know, I like to talk about different genres, but I do have my favourites. So I have picked up a book that I read a few months ago and enjoyed so much that I had to buy myself a copy when it was officially released. So my opinions probably aren't going to be much of a surprise. I am happy to be able to say that my reading has again taken a bit of an uptick, though not quite as strong as I would have liked. And of course, it being a long weekend, at least here in the UK, I do have a few treats on my reading list, including a novel that I am really looking forward to beatering. I really have some talented friends. Despite the fact that I have read this book previously, as I didn't have a hard copy until this week, it hasn't previously appeared on my socials, though I have certainly recommended it to enough people that it probably should have. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion filled as ever, and ready to roll. All of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as I take you on a journey through Chinatown in San Francisco as I join Vera Wong in her charming, if a little run-down, tea shop to solve a mysterious murder and take a bit of Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers by Jesse Q. Satanto. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. I'm going to be upfront and admit it right now. I have a thing for cosy mysteries, though that probably isn't news to those of you who've been around here for a while. So the fact that I am back here again with another in that genre shouldn't be much of a surprise. When I was looking through my shelves and considering what I should talk about, this one immediately leapt out at me. Who am I to argue when a book jumps off the shelf and screams, talk about me, like that? So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening, of course. And let's get started. Put the kettle on, there's a mystery brewing. Tea shop owner, matchmaker, detective. 60-year-old self-proclaimed tea expert Vera Wong enjoys nothing more than sipping a good cup of Wulong and doing some healthy detective work on the internet, aka checking up on her son to see if he's dating anybody yet. But when Vera wakes up one morning to find a dead man in the middle of her tea shop, it's going to take more than a strong long jing to fix things. Knowing she'll do a better job than the police possibly could, because nobody sniffs out a wrongdoing quite like a suspicious Chinese mother with time on her hands, Vera decides it's down to her to catch the killer. Nobody spills the tea like this amateur sleuth. Vera Wong is perfectly happy. 
Her life is full of routine. She gets up in the morning, opens her tea shop and serves the few regular customers who darken her door. For many months, she has been competing with newer businesses that have been popping up, including a nearby French bakery. However, despite her son Tilly telling her she should shut up shop and simply retire, she cannot face the idea of not doing something she loves every day. She knows that things are quieter, that she doesn't have as many customers as she once had, and that her beloved tea shop, full of the rarest and most delicious teas, is in need of some work. Fresh paint on the walls and better furniture, for the start. But that doesn't mean that she should just give up. Without the tea shop, her life is empty, as she can hardly get her son to answer the phone when she calls, let alone come and visit. One morning, all of this changes when she goes to open her shop and discovers the dead body of a complete stranger lying on the floor. The shop is a complete mess, and this man she doesn't know appeared overnight. Before the police can arrive, she relieves the body of a USB key that he was grasping tightly in his hand, and then everything is chaos. For some reason, Vera has no faith in the ability of the local San Francisco police to solve the murder of this man who invaded her space and turn her life upside down. And with this belief in her head, she starts her own investigation into the mysterious death of Marshall Chen. For all that Vera spends a great deal of her time on her own, she is very clever at inveigling her way into the lives of others, and armed with the knowledge that it appears every Chinese mother has to hand, Vera packs up some homemade food, and to be honest, the menu sounds delicious, and heads to the home of her murder victim, unsure of exactly what she's going to find, but sure whoever she meets will be able to help her with her inquiries. She arrives at the Chen house, where she meets Julia, Marshall's wife, and their toddler daughter, the introverted and very shy Emma. The bond is almost instantaneous. Vera doesn't even hesitate, barging into Julia's home and presenting her with a beautifully made meal, and offering the young widow who was browbeaten and tormented by her husband for almost the entirety of what appears to have been a very miserable marriage. Of course, the revelation that Marshall's things are already packed up and waiting to be disposed of helps to place the quiet woman Julia at the top of Vera's currently incredibly short suspect list. As Vera continues her investigation, she has absolutely no idea the sort of trouble she is getting involved in. Through Julia, she meets Marshall's twin, Oliver, who, it seems, is the complete opposite of his self-involved and 100% selfish brother, he is also deeply in love with his sister-in-law, and this by itself is enough to add him to the list of potential murderers. And then we have Ricky and Sana, who, we quickly discover, were victims of Marshall's less-than-squeaky-clean business dealings. He has not only been conning artists out of their work, but also persuaded a young and desperate coder to create a piece of code that could make these works more valuable for him. From speaking with Julia and getting to know the relationship the couple had and the way that he treated his whole family, it's already easy to see that Marshall's murder was not exactly a surprise. The more we learn about his character as the story goes on, the clearer it becomes that any one of the suspects Vera has grown close to could be the killer, and with good reason. 
Though solving the murder is Vera's prime reason for pushing her way into the lives of these people who have become her friends, by getting to know them she has realised that they need more than the mystery to be resolved. They need each other as much as she has grown to need them. So in a move that seems to be incredibly grandmotherly, she starts to try and make their lives better, giving them all reasons to develop closer bonds, to build a relationship that isn't all about Marshall and the connections that he introduced. Yes, she's a matchmaker. No Mystery would be one without one final, almost painful twist. And this book is no different. The twist is unexpected in the way it materialises, and though I am not going to reveal what it is, I will say that it is a testament to the friendship bonds that Vera, Oliver, Julia, Ricky, Sana and Emma have built, that they all come through it relatively unscathed. And then of course we have the final act. The murderer and the motive are revealed. Will they be able to get through this? Will their friendship survive? Well, you'll have to read the book to find out because to reveal all of that would be a massive spoiler. That would ruin the book for anyone who hasn't read it. And you know me, this show is spoiler free. This is the first time in a few weeks that I have actually talked about just one book. Admittedly, I was going through a bit of a slump, but hopefully this is now behind me courtesy of a massive Joanna Lindsay binge. This week, I have managed to pick out a few books and read through them relatively quickly, so it does seem as though I have managed to rediscover something of a rhythm, and I am incredibly grateful for that, believe me. Not reading actually makes me feel far more unsettled than reading too much. As always... When it comes to my reading, I like to provide a balanced perspective because I think that when it comes to making a decision about a new book, having views from both ends of the spectrum is important. As I've already read the book, my opinion of it isn't going to get swayed by the views of others, but I do think that having many different perspectives can help you to make a decision when you're unsure of it yourself. Letitia gave the book two stars and seems to have been pulled into the hype though she wasn't as impressed by it as many others. She said, Fun, but very insubstantial. Vera is an entertaining character with a funny inner monologue and some good lines, but it isn't quite enough to sustain the whole book. The other characters' dialogue is banal and stilted, and none of them are as amusing and defined as Vera. The murder itself is not that complicated, with the tension mainly maintained by no one explaining anything or asking too many questions, and also by everyone's weirdly regular near-panic attacks about all their secrets. Seriously, there are so many scenes where someone is internally freaking out while attempting to maintain a normal facade. And there is a lot of Vera inexplicably making things happen and getting people to overlook her weird, intrusive behaviour, obstruction of justice in that magical way that fictional characters do, which doesn't annoy me precisely, but is a particularly barefaced deus ex machina where nothing much else is going on. I don't quite understand the level of hype I've seen on so many different book lists, except that I suppose the concept hits all of marketing's hot, cosy crime with seniors' buttons. And not to be down on YA, 
a great genre with many enjoyable books, but it did make sense when I saw after reading that the author writes a lot in that genre, as it has that simplistic, walking the reader through everything step by step tone of some YA. This book was released in March, but access was given to reviewers back in January, and this can be super helpful, not only to the publisher and booksellers, but also to people like me who want to find a decent number of reviews when they're trying to make a decision about whether to get a book or not. This book has already gathered 3,554 ratings and 938 full reviews. I have to be honest, I had to search for quite a while to find a review on the lower end of the spectrum. I had to go for a two-star review, as there were just nine one-star ratings and no fully written ones available. Now, that's not a bad thing, but it does make finding the balance just a little bit harder. Overall, the reception has been really positive, with 74% of the reviews four or five stars, and the overall score for the book is 4.2 the sort of score businesses would probably kill for on Google. As I say every single week when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, film or TV program, every view is very personal to the individual who wrote it. So all of these reviews are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review, especially if you're not sure because everyone's opinion is different. Finding a five-star review was luckily much easier, which I have to be honest, I don't find myself saying all that often. As with most review platforms, people are far more likely to vent a negative view than a positive one. There have actually been studies done on this phenomenon. I have to admit that I have done my own research into it as of late because a particularly tough task I've been given at work is related to building the company's online brand and reviews are a massive part of that. Sherlyn gave the book five stars saying, Because nobody sniffs out wrongdoing quite like a Chinese mother with time on her hands. Saying that I'm obsessed with this book might be an understatement. I simply loved everything about it. Just a couple of pages in and I was howling with laughter and less than 24 hours later I was sad to reach the last page. It was such an enjoyable and flawless read that I never wanted it to end. I adored all the characters, especially Vera. She reminds me so much of my mother who is similarly very diligent in trying to keep up with the latest lingo and can whip up a mean lion's head. I'm Chinese and nothing thrills me more in novels than accurate cultural representation and characters that I see myself in. As always, the author has nailed all of these perfectly. Truly, there is nothing I didn't love about this heartwarming, captivating and highly bingeable book, even though I guessed who done it quite early on, but not the why. I've said this before and I'll say this again. Jessie Q. Satanto never misses, regardless of what genre or age group she writes for. She has completely stolen my heart with Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers, now one of my favourite cosy mysteries and found family stories ever. When you read other people's views, there's always a lot to think about. Their ratings depend on so many different factors, from how they consumed the media to personal experience of something similar that they may have preferred. But of course, unless they tell us, their readers, about it, we are going in blind. 
and as with many things, have to take their view at face value. Now, I'm not saying that this is a bad thing, but it can make it difficult to judge whether the review has any bias or not. So as with all things, I would advise you take any review but your own with a pinch of salt. Anyway, now that I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers by Jesse Q. Satanto. Completely spoiler-free and 100% honest. Did I like the book? I would say that, for the most part, when it comes to certain genres, I am pretty easy to please. Now, that doesn't mean that every book within this genre is one I would read again. You've all heard me review at least one cosy crime novel that I wasn't totally keen on. Sorry to all you Richard Osman fans out there, I know how popular his books are, they just aren't for me. Anyway, we're here to talk about Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers, and I have to admit that I enjoyed it. There's something about all the characters that I loved, especially Vera. Was the book without issues? No, but then rarely do I encounter a book that is absolutely perfect, though there have been some that have come very close. Vera Wong is an unexpected sleuth, and while sometimes her voice reads as a lot older than 60, I'm only 11 years off this age and certainly not yet anywhere near my dotage, there is something incredibly charming about her. She enchants everyone around her, the voice of reason and mother figure that they're all missing. And it is this characteristic, her warm and sometimes pithy nature, that calls to the people who flock to spend time with her. All the while Vera is poking her nose into everyone's lives and trying desperately to solve a murder she doesn't think the police are capable of resolving, you can see that she's working to fill the gap in her life where her son should be. She has been running her tea shop for several years and her son has been trying to persuade her to shut up shop and move away because business isn't great and the entire area is slowly becoming more and more gentrified as the years go on. Vera is stubborn. She likes her independence and she loves the fact that despite only having a few customers, they are loyal to her business and she feels as though she is doing something that helps her community. It is this, I think, personally, which makes people seek her out. They can sense that she is not only someone who will comfort them, but she is also in need of comfort and reassurance herself. As I read the book, I found myself identifying with Vera more and more. She was desperate to get involved with the mystery of the dead man found in her tea shop because she wanted to prove herself useful again. Her son Tilly tells her repeatedly that she is too old and that she should retire, yet he seems to have little understanding of his mother and the reasons why she felt the need to stay right where she is. Though a lot of relationships are built in the book, with Marshall's widow, Julia, Sana the computer expert, Ricky the artist, and Oliver, Marshall's twin, for me, the best relationship and the most adorable one was the bond that so quickly built between Vera and Emma, the often incommunicative and shy toddler daughter of Marshall and Julia. The moment the two meet, it is as though they are exactly what the others need. Emma struggles with strangers and her father terrified her and her mother is the one she clings to. In Vera, she has someone who doesn't treat her as though she is special. She just is. In Emma, Vera has found the grandchild she never had, 
a child on whom to gift the overabundance of love she has. She has lived a life of some somewhat dry of affection since Tilly left home for a high-powered legal career, and her husband passed away. Emma takes everything that Vera has to give, and the love she gives her in return breathes life back into a woman who has been alone for far too long. For me, this relationship is the purest that comes out of the book, though the friendship she builds with Julia, Oliver, Sana and Ricky are ones that you do get the feeling will end up lasting a lifetime. Vera is doing something exciting and proving, both to herself and to her inattentive son, that she still has a lot of life left in her, which I think is something that he needs to realise, as for some reason he is under the impression that reaching 60 means that your life is all but over and you're no longer capable of making decisions for yourself. As I have said before, this element of the book is a little concerning for me. There are a few moments where it seems even the writer forgets that 60 doesn't mean you are in your dotage. In fact, I know people in their 70s and 80s who are given a lot more credit than Vera Wong is given by her creator, her son, and the other characters in the book. Though it's not quite as bad as the stereotyping that Osman does in The Thursday Murder Club. Though it does have a few issues, specifically with the interpretation of age, I love the writing, the characters and the plot, which I felt contained enough red herrings to keep even the most clued-in cosy mystery fan busy until the end. I should probably talk about the mystery that is centre of the book. However, for me, it was secondary to the character development and the relationships. So while I have to admit that I didn't guess who done it, that may have had a lot more to do with my focus being elsewhere when I was reading the book, rather than it being less than obvious. That having been said, though, the mystery behind the murder, motive and murderer included, was very subtly and carefully created. If you aren't distracted by the multiple intricate relationship plots being built around Marshall's not-quite-so-tragic death, then you might read more into the little Easter eggs being dropped in here and there. And I say might because they are incredibly tiny and not as obvious as they can be in other novels of this type. Overall, this is a book I would recommend, and indeed I have done so already. I enjoyed it enough that I went out and bought myself a physical copy to add to my ever-growing cosy mystery shelves, even though I have read it before, purely because Vera Wong is the sort of character I want to have in my life. Will I read more by Jesse Q. Satanto? I find it interesting to note that Satanto's genre of choice is usually YA, because I didn't get that vibe when I read Vera Wong's unsolicited advice for murderers. However, looking through the rest of her back catalogue, I can see that there is a common theme, and not one I'm averse to. The four aunties she has created in books such as Dial A for Aunties and Four Aunties in a Wedding, both stories in her aunties series, look to combine cosy mystery with comedic matchmaking aunties. I guess that this is a very cultural thing that I have to be honest I am not familiar with, but I would like to learn more. I am definitely going to pick up one of Satanto's other books to see if I warm to these characters in the same way I grew to love Vera, Emma, Oliver, et al., she certainly has a way of creating people you develop affection for. And that, for me, is a great strength when it comes to writing. 
So yes, I will definitely read something else by Satanto. I just don't know what or when quite yet. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. Well, this is the easy bit because as this is a genre I absolutely love, there are plenty of books to choose from. Cozy mysteries are the sort of books that you can sit and absorb on a Sunday afternoon. It's raining outside and you've got a steaming cup of tea and a plate of chocolate digestives on the coffee table. Doesn't that sound like absolute bliss? My mouth waters at the mere thought of it. Anyway, here are just a few recommendations I don't ever hesitate to make because I truly believe you can't go wrong with a bit of mystery that is less gore and terrifying thoughts and more Jessica Fletcher and Murder She Wrote in Cabot Cove, a show I have to admit that I love and will regularly watch repeats of. That being said, if you're like me and enjoy Murder, She Wrote, I would definitely recommend you head over to YouTube and watch the comedic analysis videos by Pushing Up Roses. They're brilliant. The first book I'm going to recommend is Grave Expectations by Alice Bell. It's released on the 4th of May and is a funny but also somewhat dark tale of murder, mysteries and a medium and her teenage spirit guide as they get stuck in the middle of nowhere following the death of a wealthy grand matriarch. I recently read another somewhat supernatural cosy mystery, Gin Palace, by Tracy Whitwell. This is the second book in a series that began with The Accidental Medium and is really well written. A little darker than Grave Expectations, but no less enjoyable, Tans is an actress who also happens to be all too closely connected to the spirit world, and this connection could end up getting her killed if she isn't too careful. I have the first book in the series to read, but if you want to read a full, spoiler-free review of the second, you could head over to my website. Turning from mediums to food, a surprise new entry on my recommended list is The Proof in the Pudding by Rosemary Schrager. Yes, the cook, Rosemary Schrager. This is the second book in her Prudence Bolstrode series and follows the investigations of a famous cook who, in the true style of all accidental sleuths, seems to be get involved in murders while she's doing something else entirely. Though this is a series, I read the second book first and still feel as though I got a really good grasp of who Prudence is as a person. There are plenty of other books that I could recommend and to get a full list of my favourite cosy mysteries, why not sign up for my newsletter? This week has truthfully been another relatively quiet one when it comes to reading and though we are 10 days into the month I have only read my way through two books. I have decided somewhat subconsciously I suppose that I am going to start taking my reading a little bit slower. I've reduced the number of book tours I'm signing up for and I've also started to look far more carefully at the books I'm picking on NetGalley. Rather than picking anything and everything, I'm considering my options and really only requesting the ones I actually want to read. In the past, I have picked so many that the books on my TBR have been abandoned to the deadlines dictated by release dates. That's not to say I am reducing that figure down to zero, because I have been introduced to some amazing authors and brilliant books, many of which I have gone on to purchase upon their release. But reading should always be a pleasure that you do on your own timetable. 
once you're out of education, of course, because who hasn't read a few books they didn't like when at school? I know I did. Thanks to Easter, I have a four-day weekend, like most people in the UK, but strangely, that meant work was 10 times as busy as previous weeks, not only because it was the first week of the new financial year, but also because it always appears that you're trying to fit a full week of work into fewer days. Though I didn't read as much this week, there are two boxes of new books on my dining table just itching to be opened. And as soon as I have a few outstanding tasks ticked off my to-do list, they are the very next thing I'm planning on doing and I truly cannot wait. In other good news, here's the latest from my Goodreads list, something I haven't updated you on in a while. As of this week, my list is at 66 books. Now, that may not seem like a lot to quite a few of you. I have seen your lists and the hundreds of books some of you have managed. <laughs> I am really happy with what I've achieved. It is due to this that I decided I was going to slow things down a bit. A large number of these books were new, and though books are at the core of my disposable income spending, when you check your bank balance and discover that you've spent over £200 in a single month on new books, it reaches a point where you need to take a step back or at least slow down just a little bit, right? I finally gave in to the urge that I have been ignoring for a good few weeks and invested in another bookcase that will take up the final bit of space in my studio come office. I've been looking at this one metre length of wall and contemplating what I was going to fill it with for a while. Originally, the plan was to get another canvas with a C image on it because I have a thing for the water, but then I measured it again checked out sizes on Ikea and realised that I would actually be able to give my book collection a bit more room to grow. So here's the excuse to buy even more books. So by the time you hear my next episode, I will have another shelving unit in place and hopefully I will have been able to take some beautiful shelfies to show you how my collection is continuing to grow. So my book buying and acquiring habit continues and I keep on looking for books to add to my wish list and my physical bookshelf so if there is anything on your TBR that you think I would love I am not averse to getting more books as I've already proved so definitely pass the titles on to me you can send me an email at notbeforecoffeepodcast at gmail.com or dm me on twitter or instagram and I will be sure to check it out don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family? And please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod, or you can check out my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week, and a new book is calling me at last. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.